0: This episode of The Read-Along is brought to you by Bloom. Want to get a handle on Edmonton's growing innovation scene? Take a listen to Bloom, Taproot's newest podcast. Each week, hosts Karen Unland and Faisal Ramji will discuss the latest developments and efforts to solve new problems and diversify the economy. Find out who's invented what, who's investing in whom, and what is on the horizon. Find Bloom wherever you listen to podcasts or visit bloom.taprootedmonton.ca. We're a couple of tired parents as we <laughs> sit down to record this episode, mm. uh, because our youngest has hit upon this weird phase where she just, like, gets up every hour, mm-hmm. something she did not do even as, like, an infant as much. Well, we got to sleeping through the night pretty quickly with both of our kids.
1: Yeah, about the th- three to four months Mark, is when both of our kids started towards sleeping through the night. We weren't up every few hours, right? Yeah, And then we had like a year and a half of blissful sleep as we would put our kids to bed and they would sleep. It was great.
0: But for some reason, just in the past like month, our toddler has decided that sleep is for chumps and (laughs) gets up. Every, like, couple hours and sneaks out of bed, and it's like, go back to bed.
1: Yeah, and she's old enough now that she she's not in a crib anymore, mm-hmm. right? She's in a toddler bed, so she can get out of bed herself. She's also tall enough now to open her bedroom door. Yep. And our bedroom door. Yep. And so at 3.30 in the morning, I was awoken to gentle taps on my forehead. Mommy, mommy, get up. Mommy. And I was like, mmm, nah. It was the middle of the night. I was not coherent at all.
0: Yeah. Last night was a particularly rough one. She was up multiple times and crawled into bed with us at one point and then just proceeded to just toss and turn. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, neither of us got a great sleep, but that's not going to stop us from recording a great episode.
1: It's true because I read this book while I was awake. It's true. we're Okay.
0: So I guess with that said, we'll just kind of segue into a brief recap of our previous chapter in which Addie decides to do a little snooping in the night in the Dwarf Fortress. Makes her way back to the library, finds an suspicious book.
1: And book.
0: Then meets up with the mercenaries who have also escaped from their room and are doing some snooping. uh, Has a little heart to heart with Torres. Finds out there is a plan afoot that she will find out in the morning. And we'll find out what that plan is as we move into Chapter 18 of Questland by Carrie Vaughn. So Addie's awoken by Tess, who's like, "What do you know about this?" <laughs> and she, and, I,
1: and T- <laughs> poor Addie, similar to me this morning, was like, "What?" Ah, gah. like ripped from blissful slumber.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Actually, forces Tess to wait for her to like brush her teeth and like splash some water on her face. No,
1: I am going to the bathroom, and there's nothing you can do about that. Which is the same attitude I would have if someone had rudely awoken me after being so tired.
0: Yeah. Tess then leads Addy outside, where we discover that the mercenaries are not back in their room. They have taken themselves and their gear and created their own little camp.
1: (laughs) So I I can only assume they woke up bright and early, rebroke out of their room, commandeered one of the workshops, (laughs) and have just like set a perimeter and started working. And I'm like, good for them. Torres knows what he's doing.
0: Uh, A bunch of the dwarves are like surrounding them with spears and like bows. (laughs) And
1: Rucker's standing there uh, with a gun. Yeah. I assume a big gun. Yeah. Smug smile on his face. Like, try it. Go ahead. Throw a spear at me. Yeah, I'm going to throw a bullet at you. The
0: dwarves are not going to do that.
1: Because they are smart.
0: Yeah. And Tess is like, what do they think they're doing? Arthur's team is also brought out at this point.
1: (laughs) I assume they stayed in their room.
0: <laughs> it certainly seems so. And Arthur is also like, what, what's going on here? Basically, what we find out plan B is, is that Torres and his team have decided, forget finding a One Ring. Forget getting into Tor Camelot. We're going to make our own One Ring. Yeah. We're going to hijack Sauron's power. We're making our own One Ring.
1: Yes, exactly. I think everyone on this island has forgotten that they're not here to play the game, even if that's what Harris Lang intended. Yeah. Right? If, If the whole, like, crazy beta testers thing is true, Torres isn't here to play the game. No. Right? He is here to complete his mission. Yeah. And if that means hacking the system, bypassing the games, so be it.
0: Well, not just so be it. I mean, that would be the preferred method.
1: Yeah. He wants to get in. Quickly? <laughs> accomplish? Get out.
0: Yeah. Arthur is, like, stunned by this. He's like, but no, he can't make a, There's no one ring. That was never developed. Tess, you said that was impossible. And she's like, well, we didn't do it because we thought it was impossible. And Wendell just chimes in with, well, it might be very hard when you're trying to make it look like a ring, but when you're just trying to make something that will do what it does, you can make it look like whatever you want, and that's much easier.
1: Yeah, like, it could look like a German tank, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Whatever. Wendell is making it do what it needs to do. He doesn't need it to look like anything.
0: He's making like a big fat donut or something.
1: Sure. Why not?
0: Yeah. Um, and he's just... probably
1: full of wires and sparks. Like,
0: And they're all just getting to work. So this this creates a little bit of a detente because Arthur's team and Tess's team are kind of just not able to do anything to stop them. Arthur also makes it very clear. Like, I'm I'm not planning to stop them. I'm on their side. They're trying to fix this problem. And I don't understand why you're not helping them, Tess, to which Tess just mutters under her breath, well, I'm on my side.
1: Something like that. Yeah.
0: yeah, Addie does catch that and kind of thinks to herself, like, I'm curious what she would do if confronted with the fact that she's a corporate spy. But then that would tip my hand that I was snooping last night and I don't want to deal with that right now.
1: Can we talk about Tess for a moment here? Sure. This is the impression I got. Because mm-hmm. Tess is Tess is something else right here. So, with that whole interaction happening and how she reacts to Torres and Arthur, she is clearly playing her own game within Harris Lang's game. Well, I
0: would go right? so far as to say I think there might only be one person who's playing Harris Lang's game on this island.
1: And that's Addie Cox.
0: No, that's Arthur.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, I think, okay. Fair. I think
0: of the three department heads, Arthur is the one. He's got secrets, and he definitely wasn't being. Forthright with Torres, the fact that he knew about the One Ring but didn't mention anything previous, is sure enough proof of that. But he's t- he to me seems like the one department head so far who seems most on the level was actually doing the job. Yeah, Tess was doing her own thing and Dominic was doing his own thing. That's pretty clear at this point.
1: We don't know for sure about Dom, but I do think you're you're right. Yeah, it really points that. And way.
0: and I, we don't know for sure about Arthur either. But of the three, he seems like the one who is most on the level
1: yeah so here's the the other thing I thought about Tess here, where she is mm-hmm. right now in her little dwarven Kingdom. in her yep. little dwarven fortress, she has gotten used to being a big fish in a little pond mm-hmm. And I think that is going to come back and bite her. She's already seriously underestimated Torres. oh yes. Seriously underestimated Torres. She's so used to working within the rules of the island that she forgets that those rules don't apply to everybody, right? I think that's going to be her downfall.
0: We don't entirely know what her agenda is
1: at the moment. No, we don't. We, we have We do clues. know that she is very much on her own side, yes. whatever that may be. Yes. Right? She's in it for Tess.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I get the impression she's been in it for Tess for a long time, which is why she was willing to sell out Harris Lang to another company.
1: Yeah, maybe. Because
0: she's looking out for number one. Maybe. And her priorities may have shifted when she became a big fish on this small island. Right. Because now she's set up pretty sweet. She's Queen of the Dwarves.
1: Mm-hmm. She's got all this, quote unquote, magic yeah. at her disposal. Right. So, okay, Tess is on her own side. She's, she's in it for Tess. But what is it that Tess actually wants?
0: Well, at the moment, she wants the trust of one Addie Cox.
1: That's very true. And
0: that's why she decides, amidst all of this business with the mercenaries, to try to continue to worm her way into Addie's trust. And the way she does that is by being like, want to go see a dragon? And of course Addie
1: recognizes instantly
0: she's trying to manipulate me and then also recognizes immediately I'm very easy to manipulate because I'm going to go with her.
1: absolutely want to go see a dragon.
0: Yes, and so she does. And she takes her down like to behind the mountain to the, this yeah, they like, go, like secluded area.
1: Around kind of around the edge up this little footpath, right? Sort of behind the hill. Yeah, down
0: down to the dragon cave as you do. Yeah. And Tess pulls out her little wrist bracer. Of magic,
1: yeah, she's got this little <laughs> the bracelet of dragon magic, yeah, basically,
0: and she turns on the dragon, and the dragon pops out of its cave and is basically a puppy,
1: uh, more or less,
0: because just like in most Disney movies, animals is all puppies.
1: I actually wrote down Disney dog in my notes, yeah, because Disney thinks all animals are dogs. Y-
0: yes. <laughs> Uh, and this dragon certainly acts like a dog. It's very friendly and approachable, and it like basically acts like a domesticated pet. Yeah, it's not basically. a it's not a fearsome dragon at
1: all. No, like it's very playful. It purrs. Yeah. Right. So they didn't make it Disney dog per se, but they did make it very like friendly domesticated animal. Like you said, yeah. like a pet. Uh, Addy calls it out like it is definitely a Chinese dragon.
0: Yeah, it's like right? long and snake like. It's got white. Scales. Very canine face. It's got it's got some fur on it. It brought to mind Falcor from the Neverending Story. Me too, me yeah. too. That's that's kind of the image I had in my mind. And Addie immediately just falls in love with this thing and is like, oh, <laughs> this this is fantastic.
1: She basically sits down like who's a good boy? More or less. Yeah, it's beautiful.
0: And Tess is like, yeah, like we could have done a fearsome dragon, but think of the photo opportunities.
1: Right? The kids are going to want to play with it. The kids will
0: come. They'll be able to snuggle up with the dragon, get some great photos. And that immediately, like, ruins the magic again for Addie because she's like, of course, they're thinking of this as a business. Yeah. And not as, like, a magnificent creature.
1: At least somebody is thinking of it as a business.
0: <laughs> yeah. Amidst all of this, Torres has noticed that Addie has gone missing, and he's gone out to go looking for her.
1: Well, he's kind of responsible for her.
0: Yeah, and so he comes like barreling down the path like, Dr. Cox, where are you? Addie. He's got his gun out. He thinks that, that maybe she's been taken captive or that she's in danger.
1: Well, it, he is not wrong to jump to that conclusion.
0: No, not under the circumstances. Addie immediately has a strong reaction to seeing the gun out.
1: Yeah, so gun and, out. Triggers flipped.
0: Yeah. Uh, moves to protect the dragon, actually, much in the same way that she moved to protect the, the citizens of First First-shire. Firstshire earlier <laughs> on. Cute things, cute, innocent, and harmless things in danger. Very triggering to her. Torres, to his credit, recognizes, okay, you're clearly not in danger. This was an overreaction on my part. Puts the gun away. Yes. Well, uh, and
1: that's just good soldiering, right? Yeah. Don't take your gun out if you don't need to.
0: Uh, and is like, can we have a moment? And Tess, to her credit, is like, yeah, okay. And calls the dwarves off and they all make themselves scarce for a while. Whether or not they're eavesdropping, immaterial.
1: Uh, they probably are, yeah. but I don't think it matters in no. this moment.
0: Torres does apologize. Like, hey, sorry about that. I know you have a thing with guns.
1: yes. He didn't mean to trigger her. He assumed she was in danger and came to get her.
0: Uh, Addie takes a moment to kind of digest this and discuss a bit with Torres what it's like to her to have been a survivor of this shooting. And how it hurts to know that her then boyfriend sacrificed himself to save her. And how that puts a lot of pressure on her in a way because of her survivor's guilt. Yes. To kind of live up to his sacrifice, to live on his behalf and and her other friend's behalf as well. Torres actually gives her an answer that she's never heard before when she's like, but like, I have to prove that I'm worth having been saved. And Torres is like, nobody's worth being saved. But we tell ourselves that because it makes us feel
1: better. The therapists will tell you that yeah. to make you, to try and help you feel better. People around you who love you will tell you that because they feel it's true. Yeah. It's really, really hard to tell yourself that.
0: Yeah. But Torres's answer, like, catches her off guard, actually, and is weirdly relieving to her to yeah. hear. It's the first time somebody's just been like, well, no, the truth is nobody's really worth saving.
1: And that hits her so sideways and it actually finally gives her something else to think about yeah like he totally reframes it for her yeah in this moment and what i what i wrote in my notes about it is i don't know if torres has ever been through therapy but he seems to have himself pretty grounded and sorted out at the very least
0: well he's someone whether or not he's been in therapy he has at the very least probably had to deal with personal loss
1: oh yeah He's a soldier.
0: He's a soldier. Um, He's clearly an experienced veteran soldier. He's probably lost, and we've discussed this before, he's probably lost friends and Mm -hmm. comrades over the years. And he's had to deal with that. And it's possible that someone's taken a bullet for him in the past. Sure. And he's had to deal with that too. So of all the people she's had experience with over the years, he's not just someone telling her what she wants to hear or what they think she needs to hear. To help her get through this. He's talking to her from a place of experience. Yeah. In a way that a lot of therapists even wouldn't be able to relate to her with.
1: No, exactly. He is so well grounded and so sorted out. I think that's what makes him so good at his job.
0: And I think that's one of the reasons Addy kind of likes him.
1: Yeah. He's got the best mental health of anyone on this island, I'm pretty sure.
0: Or at the very least, he's he's the most together.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. Like, he's super put together. He's got it sorted out. He's like, look, sometimes it sucks, and you just have to look at it, accept that it sucks, and carry on.
0: I don't want to pin anything romantic on this No, necessarily at the moment, but I, I do get the sense that Addie likes Torres, and Torres likes Addie, like in spite of their differences- I think the two of them legitimately like and respect one
1: another. Oh, other. yeah.
0: And again, I don't want to necessarily suggest there's anything romantic no, going on
1: there. There's no just there's no chemistry like that.
0: But but there is there is a genuine affection, but like like a platonic affection oh, between yeah. the two of them. Uh that I kind of like as it's been developing through the mm-hmm. story. Because it would have been very easy for Torres to be someone for Addie to hate or for someone for her to butt heads with frequently throughout. But that hasn't been the way it's played out. And I actually really like the way their de- their relationship has been developing through the book.
1: Yeah. No, it's it's good. This is not his element. No. He is so out of his element right now. It's it's weird. Yeah. Right? And this is her element. Yeah. Right? So he sort of has this strange respect for someone who knows so much about this world that is so alien to him.
0: But at the same time, Addie's not fully in her element because of the scope of the mission they're on. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Torres couldn't have done this mission without Addie. Addie could not have done this mission without Torres. Oh, goodness, no. And to an extent, the rest of the team, I would say as well. Addie spends a portion early on in this chapter sitting between the mercenaries and the dwarves because she's not really on the side of the nerds and she's not really on the side of the soldiers. But the truth is she's kind of more on the side of the soldiers.
1: In the Venn diagram <laughs> that is the factions of this island...
0: Addie's kind of in the middle.
1: Addie's right in the middle. Yeah. Right? Anywhere there's crossover, she's the loop where all circles intersect in the middle. Everything is about Addie Cox.
0: Speaking of everything is about Addie Cox, one of the things that's brought up in this chapter is what if we just send Addie to go talk to Dom as like an olive branch because he'll definitely talk to her and we'll get this all sorted out ASAP. Like, we can get talk him into bringing down the shield, and then we can just, like, get this all sorted out. And Torres, of all people, is like, no, nah, that's not happening.
1: I'm pretty sure Addie would not agree to that either.
0: No, and that kind of comes back to a conversation that she and Tess have after Torres has gone back to to meet back up oh, with mercenaries.
1: Oh, yes, I'm glad we looped back around to this.
0: Um, I was kind of setting up to this, which is, Tess actually asks, like, so what's up with you and Dom? Is it true that the two of you were going to get married? And Addie was like, oh, goodness,
1: no. It's like, oh, okay.
0: He did propose to me and I said no, and then we broke up.
1: Let's open up this can of worms, shall yeah. we? Yeah.
0: Tess is amused by this and is like, I would have loved to have seen the look on Dom's face when you said no. And Addie again reiterates something that she's mentioned before, which is that they had grown apart. And, and it was Dom just. Dom didn't notice. And it was just more apparent to her than to Dom. And this comes back to. The dynamic of their relationship had changed because Addie had moved beyond what she needed out of Dom originally when they started dating and needed to move on on her own.
1: <laughs> Having only Addie's side of the story, that is what it looked like. Well, this is
0: uh, yeah, that's fair. This is from Addie's perspective, not yeah. necessarily from Dom's perspective. Addie was also apparently a little hurt that he had decided to like go all in with Harris Lang. She mentions that in this chapter that there was kind of an implication that Dom a little bit chose Harris over Addy. Okay. Despite Addy's
1: misgivings. You might look at me sideways, but I'm going to put this out there. Okay. Harris Lang is Dom's rebound.
0: (laughs) Kind of, but no at the same time. Um, I definitely get the impression that Dom did go all in with Harris Lang because he didn't have that other relationship. But... The implication is that he had started to work for Harris before he and Addie broke up. And Addie was uncomfortable with that because she didn't. She got weird vibes from Harris Lang from that first, like, TED Talk or whatever that they had done. Yeah, gone the
1: to. presentation thing that she got dragged to.
0: And Dom was all in and, like, almost immediately went and started working for this guy. And Addie felt skeeved by that. Yeah. And I think that was part of the reason why the relationship dynamic changed, too.
1: Uh, my guess is that that is one straw of many.
0: Definitely. it's it, That's not necessarily a break offense right there, but coupled with other things, yeah. you can see how that's One of those snowball.
1: things that you add to the pile and go, okay, yeah. look at all these red flags we have now.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Harris Lang is definitely the kind of person who you should have red flags about. Well, with his talk of neo-feudalism and his attempting to patent magic, Ugh. which is also discussed in this chapter. That's how Addie frames some of the stuff that she saw the night before when she has time to think about yeah. it for a bit. Uh, she also asks Tess, did, did, you and Dom, did you, uh, was there anything there? And Tess is like, oh, God, no, oh, no. Oh, no. But she's uh, but that. she's so vehement about it that Addie's like, oh, there was something there for a little bit. There was definitely an interest in Dom maybe turned her down. And now she's like. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think maybe that this has, it started out as, oh, these two could be amazing together. And then it turned into, oh, we frenemies. Like, I don't hate you or uh, what's the what's that line from 30 rock i hate respect you
0: i hate respect you
1: yeah i think that's what tess has i think she has hate respect for dom
0: <laughs> it, well dom's clearly good at what he does and neither tess nor arthur would imply otherwise oh,
1: no no whether so. or not they like him like doesn't necessarily have anything to do with that right yeah.
0: But that um that more or less covers off all of the big points from this chapter.
1: Yeah. This this particular chapter is like 99% Addie and her feelings. Yeah, which those... I'm fine with because it was uh interesting.
0: Well, yeah, and we haven't had a little bit of time inside of Addie's head for a while. Mm-hmm. So it's it's nice to get back in there and and let her puzzle through stuff and and frame stuff and get a little more exposition from Tess as well. So.
1: Yeah. No, it was a fun chapter to read. I liked meeting that dragon.
0: Yeah, so oh, did Annie. Nice. So, and Tess puts it to sleep and sends it to bed.
1: <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Uh,
0: at any rate, uh, we will wrap it up there then, I guess?
1: Yeah, well, that's where our chapter ended, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh, we'll want to read up on chapter 19 in time mm. for next week. We're rapidly running out of books, so...
1: Which makes me sad, because I am really... Really enjoying this book.
0: Yeah, we still haven't met Dom. We haven't taken control of the island. We don't know exactly what's up with Harris Lang at the moment. There's clearly something going on. Mm-hmm.
1: There.
0: So there's there's still a lot of mystery to be unraveled.
1: I know, and as... so many more nerd things to discover.
0: <laughs> Indeed, as we move into chapter nineteen, uh, you'll want to read up on that in time for next week. In the meantime, uh, you know, uh, the last couple episodes, we've been taking the opportunity to highlight some of the uh, wonderful other podcasts on the Alberta Podcast Network, and uh, I don't see why we should stop. So (laughs) here's another. Hi, my name is Kyle.
1: I'm Dave. And I'm the machine.
0: And we do a podcast called Kyle and Dave versus the machine. It's a podcast where a sentient machine is forcing us to watch movies in order to prevent it from initiating the apocalypse. Although, Dave, you and I tend to talk about the ideas of the movie rather than the movie itself. Well, it's the machine's fault, like everything, and and by effect your fault, Kyle, that you've invited me, and this is the only thing I like to talk about. I mean, I'm not going to face the apocalypse alone, so you seem like a good patsy to bring along with me. If you wanted somebody that was going to give you some hope, you picked the wrong person. Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network locally grown, community supported. New episodes are out every Friday. So yeah, you can check out that podcast and all of the other wonderful podcasts who are members of the Alberta Podcast Network, along with all of our beloved sponsors right now at the website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can find links to all of the other podcasts. You can find where they are downloadable from. Probably it's on a podcatcher of your choice, which is also probably where you're catching this pod. Yes. You could give us a little rating and a review. That definitely helps us out.
1: And we appreciate it.
0: We do. We also appreciate speaking to you via social
1: media. Absolutely. Pick your favorite. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at The Read Along on most of those. We try to be easy to find. Indeed.
0: Uh, you can also send us an email.
1: Yes, we are thereadalong at gmail.com.
0: And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time.
1: Why didn't they give the dragon a name? That dragon needs a name!
0: Thank you for joining us on The Read-Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, all read-along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along and check out our group on Goodreads.com.